Hello there. My name is Father John Harrison. I am Rector Superior of St. John Newman Residence at Stella Maris in Timonium, Maryland. In today's Gospel, from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39, we read all about Jesus. In the synagogue, Jesus had spoken and acted in the most amazing way. The synagogue service ended, and Jesus went with his friends to Peter's house. According to Jewish custom, the main Sabbath meal came immediately after the synagogue service, at the sixth hour, that is, at twelve o'clock midday. The Jewish day began at six a.m., and the hours are counted from then. Jesus might well have claimed the right to rest after exciting and exhausting experience of the synagogue service, but once again his power was appealed to and once again he spent himself for others. This miracle tells us something about three people. First, it tells us something about Jesus. He did not require an audience in order to exert his power. He was just as prepared to heal in the little circle, circle of a cottage as in a great crowd of a synagogue. He was never too tired to help. The need of others took precedence over his own desire for rest. But above all, we see here, as we saw in the synagogue, the uniqueness of the methods of Jesus. There were many exorcists in the time of Jesus, but they worked with elaborate incantations and formulae and spells and magical apparatus. In the synagogue, Jesus had spoken one authoritative sentence, and the healing was complete. Here we have the same thing again. Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from what the Talmud called a burning fever. It still, it was, and still is, very prevalent in that particular part of Galilee. Jesus completely disregarded all the paraphernalia of the popular magic, and with a gesture and a word of unique authority and power, he healed the woman. The word that the Greek uses for authority in the previous passage is exousia. And exosia was defined as unique knowledge together with unique power. And that is precisely what Jesus possessed. And that is what he was prepared to exercise in the cottage. A miracle to Jesus was not a means of increasing his prestige. To help was not a laborious and a disagreeable duty. He helped instinctively because he was supremely interested in all who needed his help. Secondly, this passage tells us something about the disciples. They had not known Jesus long, but already they had begun to take their troubles to him. Peter's mother-in-law was ill, the simple home was upset, and it was for the disciples the most natural thing in the world to tell Jesus all about it. Therein lies the very essence of the Christian life. As to him has it, take it to the Lord in prayer. Thus the disciples had learned early what became the habit of a lifetime, 
to take their troubles to Jesus and to ask his help for them. Thirdly, this passage tells us something about Peter's wife's mother. No sooner was she healed than she began to attend to their needs. She used her recovered health for renewed service. Jesus helps us so that we may help others. The things that Jesus had done in Capernaum could not be concealed. The emergence of so great a new power and authority was not something which could be kept secret. So the evening found Peter's house besieged with crowds seeking God, Jesus' healing touch. They waited until evening because the law, law forbade the carrying of any burden through the town on the Sabbath day. That would have to be to work, and work was forbidden. They had, of course, no clocks or watches. In those days, the Sabbath ran from 6 p.m. to 6, 6 p.m., and the law was that the Sabbath was ended and the day had finished when three stars came out in the sky. So the people of Capernaum waited until the sun had set and the stars were out, and then they came carrying their sick to Jesus, and he healed them. Three times we have seen Jesus healing people. First, he healed in the synagogue. Secondly, he healed in the house of his friends. And now he healed in the street. Jesus re recognized the claim of everyone. It was said of Dr. Johnson that to be in misfortune was to be assured of his friendship and support. Wherever there was trouble, Jesus was ready to use his power and he selected neither the place nor the person, and he realized the universal claim of human need. The people flocked to Jesus because they recognized in him a man who could do things. There was plenty who could talk and expound and lecture and preach, but here is one who dealt not only in words, but also in actions. It had been said, if a man can make a better mousetrap than his neighbors, the people will beat a path to his house, even if he lives in the middle of the woods. The person people want is an effective person. Jesus could and can produce results. But there is beginning of a tragedy here. The crowds came, but they came because they wanted something out of Jesus. They did not come because they loved him. They did not come because they had caught <coughs> a glimpse of some new vision. In the last analysis, they wanted to use him. That is what nearly everyone, everyone wants to do with God and his Son. For one prayer that goes up to God in days of prosperity, 10,000 go up in the time of adversity. Many a man who has never prayed when the sun was shining begins to pray when the cold winds come. Someone said that many people regard religion as belonging to the ambulance corps and not to the firing line of life. Religion to them is a crisis affair. It is only when they have gotten life into a mess or when life deals them some knockout blow that they begin to remember God. 
we must all go to Jesus, for he alone can give us the things we need for life. But if that going and these gifts do not produce in us an answering love and gratitude, there is something tragically wrong. God is not someone to be used in the day of misfortune. He is someone to be loved and remembered every day of our lives. Simply to read the record of the things that happen in Capernaum is to use or is to see what Jesus had left with no time alone. Now Jesus knew well that he could not live without God, that if he was going to be forever giving out, he must at least sometimes take, be taking in, that is, if he was going to spend time, spend himself for others, he must ever and again summon spiritual reinforcements to his aid. He knew that he could not live without prayer. Even there they sought him out. There was no way in which Jesus could shut the door. Once Rose Macaulay, the novelist, said that all she demanded from this life was a room of her own. That is precisely what Jesus never had. A great doctor has said that the duty of medicine is sometimes to heal, often to afford relief, and always to bring consolation. That duty was always upon Jesus. It had been said that a doctor's duty is to help men to live and to die, and men are always living and dying. It is human nature to try to put up barriers and to have time and peace to oneself. That is what Jesus never did. Conscious as he was of his own weariness and exhaustion, he was still more conscious of the insistent cry of human need. So when they came for him, he rose from his knees to meet the challenge of his, ta- of his task. People will never do our work for us. What it will do is strengthen us for work which must be done. Jesus set out on a preaching tour of the synagogues of Galilee. In Mark, this tour is dismissed in one verse, but it, it must have taken weeks and even months to do it. And as he went, he preached and he healed. There were three pairs of things which Jesus never separated. He never separated words and actions. He never thought that a work was done when it was work was stated. He never believed that his duty was completed when he had exhorted men to God and to goodness. Always the statement and the exhortation were put into action. Fosdick somewhere tells of a student who brought who bought the best possible books and the best possible equipment and got the special study chair with a special book rest to make study easy and then sat down to chair and went to sleep the man who deals in words with no actions to follow is very much like that This person, never, Jesus never separated soul and body. There have been types of Christianity which spoke as if the body did not matter. But man is both body and soul. And the task of Christianity is to redeem the whole, redeem the whole man and not just part of him. 
It is indeed blessedly true that man may be starving, living in a hovel, in distress and in pain, and yet have sweet times with God. But that is no reason at all for leaving him in such a case. Missions are to, uh, missions to primitive races do not take the Bible. They take the education and medicine. They take the school and the hospital. It is quite wrong to talk about the social gospel as if it were an extra or an option or even a separate part of the Christian message. The Christian message is one, and it preaches and works for the good of man's body as well as the good of his soul. Third, Jesus never separated earth and heaven. There are always those who are so concerned with heaven that they forget about earth and so become impractical visionaries. There are those who are so concerned with earth that they forget about heaven and limit good to material good. The dream of Jesus was a time when God would, do, would be done on earth as it is in heaven, and earth and heaven are one. My dear friends, this is our message for today. May God bless you and have a great day.